Welcome to Philanthropy Today. Our goal is to inspire giving by educating listeners on ways to give and how to connect with charitable causes. My name is Dave Lewis. I'm your host of Philanthropy Today. Thank you for joining the show. Eric Reed is the superintendent of the Manhattan Ogden School District number 383. And welcome to Philanthropy Today. Yes, sir. Thank you, Dave. Man, it's great to be able to visit with you. I I, I don't think I've seen you since you uh, got your promotion, but congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Tell me a little bit about your history in, in education. Well, my history, I'll, I'll start with where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've been the assistant superintendent at USD 383 Manhattan Ogden for the previous eight years. So coming into my ninth year here. Um, Prior to that, I was a superintendent at Ellsworth USD 327 and a principal in that district as well in my hometown. Um, I also grew up in Ellsworth and then I was a K-12 principal in Haviland, Kansas, Haviland, America. Oh my. Yeah. Home of Barclay College. It was the only town where you could get a four-year college education and couldn't buy a gallon of milk. <laughs> That's, that's the fun story, claim to fame for Haviland America. So, and prior to that, I was a teacher, coach, athletic director at Fowler, Kansas, and taught in Missouri a couple of years before that. So I've made the round after graduating from K-State and made it back to Manhattan. Well, we're delighted to have you as the uh, superintendent of the school district. I know that there's a lot of uh, great opportunities, a lot of challenges. It's a, it's, it's a delightful place. Oh. It, it, it's a wonderful place. You, you, you don't find better people. We got some of the most talented people in, in the business and, and grateful for the community we live in and get us are happy to do it. Tell me about your family. My family? Yeah. Uh, I've got my wife, Amy, and I will be married, I believe, 27 years. Um, it's good to know that firmly. Yeah, in about yeah. a month. Really? So okay. I, I think we were talking about it the other day is probably the only reason I can put a number on it. Um, I, I know 25 came and went because we were planning a trip and I couldn't take it because it was during COVID. So yeah. I, st I still got that hangover. So I know I'm past 25 at least. But uh, we we have three children, um, JC, who is a speech pathologist um, at the Blue Valley um, District in Kansas City. And uh, she married Wesley Grogan, a Manhattan High graduate as well. So they were able to meet at Manhattan High. And a few years later, we, we had a wedding. That's been fun. Um, Leah, Leah is, I believe, 19 years old and she's working as a paraprofessional in the school district right now. And then my youngest, uh, Tate is 16 years old and he'll be a junior at Manhattan High. And he's got a remarkable story. He does have a remarkable story and it, it started when we moved to Manhattan all those years ago. So cancer survivor and yeah. is, uh, and past the five-year mark? Yep. He's getting, he's coming up on the five-year okay. mark. So come, coming up in December, he'll be five years off treatment, which they call that cure for the type of cancer he had. So we're happy to celebrate that. So what was it like having, uh, you know, that challenge with a child? And, you know, we're going to be talking, your purpose here is obviously, you know, to talk about the ES fund. Sure. But, but your experiences as a parent mm -hmm. uh, between you and Amy and having a child who has cancer in this community? Well, um, we were in this community probably about two months before his diagnosis. Really? So yeah, we, we just moved to town a little bit before I started in July and he was diagnosed um, right at the beginning. Depend, depends when we knew and when the official diagnosis came through. We, we call that like September 1st is his true diagnosis day. So he, he was only at uh, his elementary school a couple weeks before we 
took him in the doctor and, and found out that news and whisked him off to Children's Mercy in Kansas City. So, and you know, in some ways I'm, I'm starting a new job. I got a learning curve at a 6A district, you know, um, 6,000 kids instead of 600 kids with, um, I honest to God, didn't know one single person um, on the staff when I started work outside of the people I interviewed with and, and met at an interview. So we, we didn't really have that, but we had a lot of community on the outside, you know, people uh, that I went to college with that still live in the community. We have uh, siblings in the community that Amy and I both have siblings that live in the community. So able to lean on them um, quite a bit while I'm learning my job and trying to do the best I can for the responsibilities that I have. Uh, Amy was just starting to look for work and then that kind of derailed, but uh, we, we were blessed uh, at, at that time because it just, that became her job and started out, you know, we're, he's driving to Kansas city every week for, for chemo and checkups. And then, then it spreads out to every month and then it, you know, hospital stays and all that fun stuff. Uh, her being able to stay home with him was greatly helpful for me to be able to keep my job going, um, be able to keep paying the bills and all that fun stuff. But, you know, one, one thing I've noticed just about our situation with Tate, as well as any other situation that comes up, our community rallies, they rally around things like that. And, and I don't think it was just because I was the assistant superintendent that people rallied. I think we rally around people because we truly care about them and want to do that. So, you know, I've had the, um, ability to, when other families get diagnosed with cancer, I always try to reach out and say, Hey, I've, I've, I've been there. Um, I'll help you through school. You know, uh, Tate was the first remote student um, at USD 383. So he, he was going to school online. He was remoting into class. Um, you know, he, he was shut down where he wasn't at school for six months. So he, he was playing that game long before everybody had to play that game. Um, so he, he was even less fond of it. I think the second time around than everybody else was. So, well, that's the reason I ask is that, you know, we, uh, have come to embrace the youth in our community. So, yeah, so greatly. And, you know, and that just strengthens the bond and, and the love for mm -hmm. the city and its people. And, you know, we, um, uh, earlier I spoke with, uh, in a previous podcast, spoke with C. Clyde Jones about the founding of the Yes Fund, yeah. you know, 30 years, you know, and that was right after, you know, we had this historic flood and, you know, we had so many neighbors helping neighbors and, yeah. and so many neat things that really enhanced our spirit of community. And, and, and I like to say that Manhattan learned a lot mm -hmm. about itself and grew and improve tremendously from a neighborly perspective because we got, you know, as you know, we have people of all walks of life here, you know, with the, with the university and with Fort Riley and so many, so many young people and, and people that have been disconnected and this kind of brought us all together and they saw a need for youth mm -hmm. to have opportunities and, uh, seized upon that, uh, opportunity with the Yes Fund, with the McCormick Foundation and yeah. and the Setons, you know, and Mike Holan was so involved and the DeBryans and so many others that have been so generous. Let's talk about some of the experiences that, that you as an administrator within mm -hmm. USD 383 have had working with the Yes Fund. What I love about the Yes Fund, it gives us opportunities to do the extra things. Um, you know, I was, I was just glancing through the projects that, that we've done. Um, a lot of people wouldn't realize uh, the projects that are supported by the Yes Fund. So 
pretty much anything at an elementary level, if it's an after school, we, they support a lot of the local choirs. So if a uh, you know, Marlap music machine, you know, uh, Stacy Payne does a wonderful job with them. I'll just highlight, um, Stacy's group at Marlat, mm -hmm. but there's multiple at the elementary schools that go out and perform or, you know, they'll, they'll go to one of the retirement communities. Maybe they'll go to a hospital area or they it did before COVID at least, and try to be that reach out in the community. They've performed for us multiple times. So, and we've got those groups um, all over, you know, we've had kids that sang the national anthem at a, at a K-State game in Bramlage. And that's super exciting for them. Um, I believe my son did it for uh, Harlem Globetrotters when really? they, when they came um, uh -huh. He was in the Woodrow Wolf Choir, um, uh -huh. the Miss Augustine um, led that. Um, so they got to go to the Harlem Globetrotters, watch them play, got to sing the national anthem. So it was a great experience for them. And then, you know, I, I, I think what, what I boast about our district probably more than anything, that if it's something you love, we have a place for you. And then we have people that have similar interests around there. So some, some of the things that come out of the Yes Funds are the exploration clubs that, hey, I'm really interested in doing this. And we have a group of people that are interested. So I'll probably point out uh, one example is Eisenhower Middle School. One of their clubs that's supported by Yes Grant, uh, Grant is the Rubik's Cube Club. So there's kids, they like solving Rubik's cubes. They wanted to see how fast they could do it. They wanted to work together. They wanted, and they wanted to stay after school to do it. And they found a teacher that could sponsor them, wrote the yes grant to get some funding, to get some support, to be able to put a Rubik's cube club together. And they have their own little competitions along the way. And, and they're really fast, way faster than me. My I, personal best is 17 minutes and 13 seconds. My personal best is probably <laughs> coming on uh, 45 years is <laughs> where I'm at because I've never done it. Uh, my, my son did it and, and he got uh, where, where he could do it with within a minute. Wow. And under, that just un, is mind blowing. Yeah, underneath him, and that was before the club. Yeah, started. So I, I think he, he, he was just messing around with some friends on the bus, and I think they saw him doing it. I think that grew into the club, but he was already in high school by the time that came around. So, and there, there's just dozens of examples. If, if you want to look at the Cyborg Indians, which is our robotics club at the high school. Most of that was spurned and started out of Yes Fund grants, and they still support it in a lot of ways, but it's grown um, to multiple kids um, doing uh, at least Midwest area competitions and do doing some really cool stuff. If you've never seen them in action, um, it's amazing what they do. Do you have the capacity to chart some of the success that these students have because of their engagement in some of these clubs? I, I'm, I would guess, um, a lot of the research out there now do a specifically chart. I, I don't specifically mm -hmm. chart that the high school might, might, but there's multiple studies out there that a student that's engaged in a meaningful activity to them in high school has a much better opportunity to graduate and be successful post-graduation than someone that doesn't. So finding those opportunities, no matter what it is and trying to engage students in it is really important. We had Bob and Tracy DeBryan in to talk about mm -hmm. uh, this matter. And, and you know, uh, their uh, latest effort is this uh, Museum of Art and Light. Yeah. And, and that is just going to be a, a game changer for this community. Yeah. And, and it's going to be one of the great attractions in, in the state and mm -hmm. in the Midwest. But one of the things that Bob talked about was how engagement in arts at an early age mm -hmm. leads to academic success and success into their adult lives. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. The I, I would say the arts in general, you mm-hmm. know, you visual art, um, performance art, you know, music and art stimulate a different side of the brain. And that's it for some kids, you know, that's what keeps them engaged. You know, it's, it's not all about math and reading, um, to stay engaged. You can think through a lot of things. Um, I'll, I'll just give an example. I remember when computer skills were a really important thing and people like, we got to boost computer skills. We got to boost computer skills and we, especially typing speed, you know, if they can't type fast, you know, they're not going to be functional. They're not going to be productive. They're not going to be all that. So I, I remember going into my computer lab teacher and just seeing the list, you know, they keep a running record of who can type 90 words a minute, 60 words a minute. And then there's, you know, there's a little Eric down there at 16 words a minute along the way when I start. And you see, I had and manual typewriters when I... So did I. Uh, and uh, oh. so I blame them too. Oh, and that's in Ellsworth. Yeah, so, so I'm, your budget I'm that wasn't... old. <laughs> I'm, I'm that old where I did manual typewriter. I'm that old where I didn't have a computer in my first classroom. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but I remember tracking all those things and I see the people at the top and I'm like, what, what's the difference? And I, and I saw it with my daughter as well. And they're like, well, you know what? The people that can type the fastest are able to do it. Piano players. Yeah. They can engage both <sighs> hands and they can look at something without looking at their fingers and they trust their fingers to move. They trust their fingers to do it. They have a feel about it. And if you can play the piano, you have a better opportunity to type faster. I hadn't thought than about someone that. out. So it's just those little things you pick up along the way, the things that change because you, yeah, you wouldn't expect that, but the, the arts have great impact on, on how people think, but sometimes it keeps them engaged in school, you know, and that, that meaningful activity that they need is having that class that I come to school for. And sometimes it's not math. You know, I, I don't come to class, school for algebra two. I didn't come to school for algebra two. Somebody else might come to school for algebra two and they don't like going to choir. I like going to choir. I like that stuff. There's some kids that might go and they need to weld something. They need to set something on fire and melt steel. And that's what gets them through the rest of the day. And it's also amazing the uh, how so many musicians succeed in math mm-hmm. and how many those who succeed in math become terrific musicians. Oh, there's so much fraction. Which is why that. I am... Mm-hmm. Not a musician, yeah, or a mathematician. <laughs> yeah, when they talk, and you know, I hear someone say, "We'll take it up a fifth. Yeah, I don't understand what, what that means. <laughs> yeah, let's talk a bit about uh, the school district's foundation, mm-hmm. and this is uh, you know an intricate part in in a lot of the activities, you know, with the the distribution of yes funds, and and there's a, a real arts element to the foundation. Yes, I've worked with uh, you know some displays of art that they've had, uh, you know, with events. Uh, I think it was actually at the Beach Museum of Art mm-hmm. some years ago, but but that support mechanism from the yes fund to the USD three Manhattan Ogden foundation yeah. is significant. I, I think it's helpful because it gives a financial driver um, to those things. It gives people a place to to donate in, in general. Um, they want to do something good and they want to do something good for kids, but they're not exactly sure what they want it to specifically do. And being able to pull all those things together and take those opportunities in, I think is what helps create those situations and going through the foundation that that's able to look at those things and say, yeah, that, that'd be great in our community, or we definitely see a need for that. Um, it's a supply and demand issue. So, and they're, they're the ones that help us start. And we've probably had a lot of long-term clubs come into play at, at the high school and middle school because they got started with yes funds. After eight years in the position of being an assistant uh, superintendent and now the superintendent of the school district, 
what are some of the challenges you foresee in our community and and maybe outside our community? Because, you know, there's a lot of things that, uh, uh, you know, with social media and, and different opinions, the cancel culture. And, yeah. And, and, you know, you, you, you think about some of the other things, you know, human trafficking. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we know we have a lot of children at risk there. Uh, there's, there's so many different things, some different challenges that, you know, growing up in Ellsworth, yeah. Kansas, you probably never had that. Wow. How could this oh, be? No. Yeah. So what do you foresee? You know, I, that, that's a great question, Dave. Um, Definitely things we're going to have to address. I think, you know, I think the mental health issues, we're just seeing more and more of those. And, you know, I know a lot of people blame COVID for that, but COVID's not a reason for that. It was an amplifier of it. So maybe it put it into fast forward. Social um, media has a, a profound effect. Bullying yeah. is something yeah. that uh, I know that has been tackled in the schools. Yeah. So, social media and those two topics go together, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, a lot, a lot of self-esteem gets tied up in how many likes I can get. Yeah. And a lot of likes I can get can get tied to negative behavior. I can get more likes and I can get more hits. I can get more social status um, with something negative um, that I can. So so we have kids pushing and, and you push and you raise the volume. And I think that's part of what goes on in the community, that, what you said about cancel culture as well, that if I can yell loud enough and long enough, I can win um, the argument. And I, and I think what we want to do as a school is kind of focus everybody back to focus everybody back to the middle and the reasonable and everybody and allow some of those voices, allow some of those opinions to come in because they're not bad. Everybody can have their opinion. Everybody can have their thoughts, but we're the start of a functional society. And so we've got to model it. We got to use it. We got to do those things. We got to work in partnership with a lot of people, especially on the mental health. And I, like I said, I, th I truly think the mental health issues we have are tied to phones. They're tied to social media. They're tied to expectations where people feel horrible or um, just because of their online presence or not getting attention that way. So then they seek negative attention and we, we got to show a better way. Um, you know, and one of the other things, and, you know, I probably should have included this in my little laundry list of challenges, but, you know, opioid and fentanyl. Oh, yeah. You know, scary. Those are, it, it's very scary. It's, and and these are challenges that, that every school district, every parent, yep. every community is facing. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, I've, I, I was just messaging with one of my friends back in Ellsworth the other day, and he was, he was, he, he's on, he's on his school board. And so he's asking me, Hey, we're, we're looking at approving Narcan for use in our school. And I just say, I can, I can tell you right now, I know it saved lives. And wow. if I, and if I didn't have it, we, I'd have a different story to tell you um, wow. than that right now. So I said, you better approve it now and hope to God you never need it along the way that it, it's scary. You know, uh, one thing that hasn't changed from when I grew up, when, when I grew up, I was invincible. My friends were invincible. We were all invincible, which means we did a lot of stupid things. Uh-huh. And survived. And, and I think- I drank from a water hose. Yeah, I drank from plenty of water hoses, yeah. and that's probably one of the lighter things I did um, yeah. on the stupid end. So a lot of things haven't changed in that capacity. People still think they're invincible. We still do stupid things sometimes um, along the way, except the consequences may be greater. You know, when you, when you do something embarrassing and, um, that my friends weren't videotaping it yeah. and watching me do something stupid, putting it online to try and get m my status up by decreasing your status, by making fun of you and what you did or getting you in an embarrassing situation. Um, 
yeah, I'm glad we didn't video everything and put it up online when I was a kid. Um, and they have to live with that um, a lot more um, than than people realize. And, and it, these are life changing. Can be. They they can be absolutely life changing. Um, people predators that kind of get people into compromising positions um, through through social media or through the internet messaging. Um, catfishing that goes on along it, it's a it's a real deal and they hold them hostage for pictures and uh, that that's overwhelming that's led to a lot of suicide as well that that's a scary scary piece of things because it, it's scary on my end because we can't control everything um I, I feel like what we can control we got a good grasp on but more of the input comes in where we can't control it than we can one of the things that we can do is continue to support the Yes Fund. That's right. And uh, here we are during the campaign to raise money mm-hmm. uh, for the Yes Fund to continue to support uh, youth in our community, to give them opportunities. And if you were to offer a sales pitch for the Yes Fund and those that want to give, what would you say? I'd say just based on our last conversation, you know, if you don't give kids something positive to do, they're going to find something to do. And it may not be that positive. What the Yes Fund does, it provides positive opportunities. It gives supervision to things. It gives structure. It gives guidance along the way. And it can fit kids to their interest. And that may not mean a lot now, but maybe your kid down the line, maybe your grandkid down the line would benefit from something like that getting established in our community and in our schools. So, yeah, if you, if you want the positive things getting pushed out and decrease the negative, Yes Fund's a great place to start. Eric, thank you for sharing so much personal detail with your family, and and it's uh, you know neat to see the progress that uh, that uh, is being made with our kids in our community and and through the school district and the continued work that uh, that they do through through the generosity of people in our community. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate our community so much. Every every meeting, I see the donations that come in, and they're amazing. And the Yes Fund's one of the largest donations when it comes in, and we approve those. So. Thank you for joining us for Philanthropy Today, an inside look at the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. You can always learn more about the GMCF at our website, mcfks.org. We also invite you to subscribe to Philanthropy Today on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dave Lewis. I'm proud to host Philanthropy Today. It's hosted and produced in the Ad Astra Cast Studios in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. 